The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. We're telling our children, you know, find your purpose, find your passion. I think that's all nonsense. How should an 18 or 19-year-old know what passion or purpose is? I was a complete idiot until I was 23 or 24. Welcome to The Path. I'm Ryan Roslansky, the CEO of LinkedIn. And on this show, I sit down with the world's top leaders to talk about the decisions that shape their unique careers and how these valuable lessons can help you forge your own path. Today, my guest is Toto Wolff. Toto is arguably the most powerful man in motorsports. He sits at the helm of Mercedes Formula One as CEO and team principal, and his team holds the record for most wins in a world championship. That's a big deal. But before his success in racing, Toto maneuvered through a series of personal challenges and career pivots. He jumped from a life in banking to a stint in steel manufacturing and ventured into the dot-com investing world. Here's how Toto Wolf paved his path. We know you, obviously, as a Formula One principal and a CEO, but I want to go way, way back in time to a young Toto uh, growing up in Austria, and maybe the first time you can remember at all what you maybe wanted to be when you grew up. I wanted to actually be a pilot, um, but then over the years, your character forms, nurture joins nature, and you become a different person. So my first thoughts about uh, a career only started when I was um, in my late teens. Uh, I wanted to become a racing driver. I know that you were kind of in and out of school. Maybe tell us what you thought about school when you were younger and growing up. What was your view on school in general? Yeah, so certainly my own uh, trauma became a, a, a driving force within myself. I remember um, due to my father dying very young and financial hardship that I wanted to be independent and, uh, and live my life. I wanted to be an adult probably much earlier than you should be thinking of wanting to be an adult. And um, school in a way just passed by me. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, as you said, at a certain point, you decided that um, you wanted to become a race car driver. Maybe talk us through how you decided that early on in your in your life. So I had really, until I was 18, no idea what I wanted to be. And I somehow stumbled uh, over racing. A friend of mine uh, was a racing driver in Formula 3, which is a junior formula. And we got to visit him on a racetrack. And I had no expectations. Um, and once I put my first feet in the, into the paddock and I saw these drivers racing their, their machines and trying to be in control, this is in a way how I found my identity. This is, this is what I wanted to be. You know, it's such a unique kind of career, a race car driver. What do you do? How do you go about becoming a race car driver? Yeah, it was so far away because obviously I've never done any any um, go-karting, which is a key and if not the essential part to be a successful racing driver. I had no financial means um, from the family, so I had to raise a sponsorship, uh, which I did. I made a nice presentation uh, how you could invest in, in my career and um, basically gave it to every single parent in school and friends of the family. And by doing so, I raised enough money to buy myself a racing car and start to uh, compete and participate in the junior formula. So Toto, many people would look at that task of trying to do it on your own and just give up. 
What, what was it about you? What is it inside you that gave you the, what some people might call audacity to think that you could actually go on your own and do this? Um, I believe that when you truly identify or find a, a passion for something, at least for myself, I completely dive into this. There is nothing else anymore. I, I have an ultra narrow focus on the activity. And um, as a racing driver, that's, that's all I was interested in. I, I read every single bit of information that I could get on how to make it financially viable and how to become a better driver. And um, everything else kind of disappeared. You get to a point in your career where you decide that you're not at least, you know, at that point in your career going to become a professional race car driver and you go and take an actual job. So that's something that I didn't want to happen. But in 1994, I was in, in, in full uh, swing in my uh, racing, um, we had a spell of really um, bad accidents in Formula One. An Austrian driver called uh, Roland Ratzenberger died in Imola. Two days later, Ayrton Senna uh, um, suffered deadly injuries in the same weekend. Um, and then um, two weeks later, another Austrian driver who was a very promising talent had another crash in Monaco and ended up in coma. And my main sponsor was also this guy's, Carl's sponsor. And he approached me and said, I don't want to do this anymore. I spent the last few weeks in hospital hoping for, for uh, Carl to wake up. Um, and I really emotionally can't take that. And this is the moment where I said to him, you know what, then let's not waste any money anymore. He said he would pay until the end of the year for me to figure out how I could continue. Let's stop it right now. And I had this intuition that um, based on my lack of support, um, lack of lobby, lack of um, skill because of the missing go-karting, I felt that I could make it as a professional race driver, but I wouldn't make it all the way to the top in Formula One. So I said to him, let's cut it right here. And I decided to take a job in a bank. So it was from one moment to the other, my intuition gave me direction and I changed trajectory quite dramatically. But it sounds like this was easy. I can promise you I worked for an Austrian bank in Warsaw, Poland, in a kind of um, internship. Um, and it was terrible. It was boring. And I cried my eyes out because of that decision. But I knew it was, uh, that's what I needed to take. So let me bring you up to speed on a couple years of his path. Even though he hated that banking job, he loved learning about the business. So he dives deeper into that work. He takes a sales job at a steel manufacturer, learning everything he can about large-scale production and how to successfully navigate business transactions. Then he changes course and starts his own consulting company, taking on a paper manufacturing client on the brink of bankruptcy. We had quite some uh, risk in there and outstanding uh, money. So I got into M&A because one of the possibilities of saving our own business was to buy that business eventually. So I got to learn that from a legal angle. What's a due diligence? How do we analyze whether a business is sustainable? So suddenly one door out of a crisis opened another one. And my understanding of investment banking in that sense came naturally because I had to learn in order to save our business. Toto begins his journey as a venture capitalist in the late 90s and realizes there's a lot of potential in tech and starts adapting. His investment company becomes one of the first tech-focused VC firms in Europe, eventually expanding globally. He starts backing early-stage tech startups right at the height of the dot-com era, making solid bets on companies that would later make successful exits. Did you feel like you had any 
prior training to help you do this or you knew what you were doing or did you just kind of learn as you were going? I was really learning uh, by how I was going. I was so interested in each of those topics that it's all encompassing in a way for me. My wife sometimes um, smiles when, I, when I'm diving into some specific topics and whether it's sports or, or architecture uh, in, in my holidays, that's all I read. If I feel like I need to improve my skiing, uh, you know, I look at YouTube tutorials, uh, take myself a carving coach for a few days just to um, seek, you know, to be as good as possible. And that happened in, with, with M&A and investment banking, that I just wanted to learn all about it and trying to be the best. I was always surprised as a child that other children were not asking questions. And whenever I met somebody that I thought was knowledgeable, I would bombard um, that person with questions. Why, how, um, how did it come about? How can I learn from it? I wasn't embarrassed, but I felt that the cool kids never asked any questions, so they must have known that, what I was asking. So as a matter of fact, probably they didn't know, um, but they just weren't interested. That's amazing. How did you end up finding your way back towards racing? So how I came back to motor racing was a coincidence because a friend of mine, ex-racing driver, called me and said, should we do a six-hour race in a touring car? And I said, why not? I haven't been in a car for a long time. And during that race, I found out that I, I haven't lost the skill and continued like a, like a hobby. So I started to support some young drivers, uh, drivers that, like me, 10 years prior had no means. So I was paying for them and trying to find the right teams. And so this is how I actually came back into motor racing from a totally different angle. I never had a concrete plan for my career. One opportunity closed, another one opened up, and I followed that without too much pressure. Um, it came about naturally. And if I look back today, how lucky I was that uh, one coincidence and, uh, ended up in another one. But I believe it is making your opportunities, trying to engage with intelligent people um, and aim to learn all the time. And I think this is what got me through my career. Early on in his career, Toto had to pivot away from race car driving, but he got an opportunity to get back into it later in life. And you got to keep that in mind as you make your own decisions. Just because you leave one part of your path behind doesn't mean you can't come back to it later. Toto followed each opportunity as it came, and eventually he landed the principal role at Mercedes. How I ended up with Mercedes was um, actually uh, completely out of nowhere. I, I, I invested in a motorsport company that had a great reputation in, in touring cars, and uh, I IPO'd that company and got um, myself a little bit of um, knowledge in, 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 that, in that space and reputation. And um, eventually I got introduced to Frank Williams, who owned the Williams Formula One team, a team of great heritage. And I took it as a fun visit. I've never seen a Formula One team. So I went there and the first thing that Frank Williams said to me, he said, I heard you can help me to repay my mortgage. <laughs> and uh, so I said, yeah, you've never sold any shares. Are you willing to sell shares? And he said, yes. You've been at HWA, that was the touring car company. You seem to have been doing a good job. Why don't you join me? So that was um, coincidence. And um, I saw it as a pure financial investment, never the aim to hold it longer. Uh, and over after two or three years, the CEO resigned uh, pretty much out of nowhere. So Frank asked me, can you help me to run the team? So I got myself a T-shirt with my name 
said to him, I never run any organization. I was a venture capitalist. Uh, but yeah, let's, why, why don't we do that? And I felt so much energy and, and um, passion and excitement that we won a race in Barcelona, a team that was nowhere anywhere near a podium. We managed to win a race in Barcelona. We had some really good uh, few more weekends during the year. And, um, and I got approached by Mercedes, um, by one of the board members. And he said, we'd like to have a chat with you. So I flew to Stuttgart, not knowing what to expect. And they said, can you tell us why your team, that is not a works team, is able to win a race and be competitive whilst we are not? And I said, I can help you, but I don't want to badmouth any, anybody. But if you let me look into your structures, I, I give you an opinion. So I looked at it and here was a team that was very detached from Stuttgart. Communication lines broke down um, and under-resourced. So I brought that message back to, um, back to the board and asked them, what is your expectations? And they said, well, we bought a world championship winning team, Braun Racing, um, in 2009. And our expectation was to run it with no more financial contribution and win championships. So I said to them, okay, so one of us is wrong because I'm running on the same budget and my expectations is to be coming in uh, in the top five. So they weren't so happy to hear that. And I said, don't kill the messenger. You asked me to give you, <laughs> to give you my opinion. Here it is. So off I went, not thinking about it um, anymore. And a month in, they came back to me. Can you come to Stuttgart again? So I came to Stuttgart and they said, would you want to run it? For me as a motorsport person, that was like, you know, it's a knighthood. If you're being asked to be head of motorsport, Mercedes Motorsport, and be a team principal of a Formula One team, it doesn't go any better. So I became a co-owner of the team and run it since then. It's an amazing story. And I know... It, you know, a lot of it had been uh, a dream job for you, but these are really big, tough, in the spotlight roles. Did you hesitate at all about saying yes and accepting that job? Zero, not not a second, because it felt it felt right. I, I knew that I have probably some gaps, but I would learn quickly on the job how I've done all my life. But also a certain degree of you know, keep it simple, try to do your best, um, be authentic. Uh, which is key today in, in, I believe, in personal success, and embarked on, on the mission. We generate more than a billion viewers a year, so they gave me the keys and, and let me run uh, with it with a very long leash. But I always knew about my responsibility uh, towards the brand. I love it. So, so Toto, in, all, in a lot of these roles that you've had, you didn't have the traditional upbringing or the linear career path that would eventually lead someone to become a venture capitalist or you know, a team principal. I'm curious, when you are looking to hire talent or to, you know, to build out your team, do you also look for those unique paths or that different factor that, that got you to who you are when you're trying to hire people or bring them into your team? That is one of the most complex problems today with structuring an organization and hiring and retaining talent. I remember in my first years, I sat down with my uh, chief people's officer, a great guy, Paul, and we went through the skill set that was needed and what we were looking at an organization. And he said, well, we are looking at uh, the top universities. We expect um, high grades, PhDs lots of leadership expertise. Have you been running some kind of club? How many languages do you speak? Um, so I said to him, uh, what about someone that 
hasn't been great academically, been a student dropout and set up various tiny businesses. Um, and Paul said, no chance. Wouldn't even go through the first round of applications. So I said, so that's me. I would have never qualified for a job here at Mercedes. And what does it say? And it's so tricky. Most recently, we got 4,000 applications for a single job in, in marketing. And I'm quite sure that we're missing out on some of the best ones. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't tell you how much that resonates. Right now, I think companies who are starting to understand that skills are the currency, it's not just where someone went to school or what their previous company was, but does someone actually have the skills needed to do the job? Do they have those unique uh, qualities, that uh, those soft skills as well? And those companies that are really understanding that are the ones that are becoming really successful across the LinkedIn platform. So I, I love uh, hearing you say that. I guess my last question uh, for you, Toto, is, Wow. I mean, looking back at your path, it is the definition of a non-linear career path. When someone asks you, uh, Toto Wolf, what is your best career advice? What do you tell them? For me, it is intuition. Um, you kind of feel whether it's wrong or right. And sometimes we're trying to fool ourselves thinking, oh, yeah, it feels right, but maybe the other one is is better. And follow, follow your inter intuition, follow your interest. I don't feel that I've ever taken a risk. It was always calculated. If I could cope with the worst outcome, then it was a calculated risk and I, I was prepared to uh, have a certain easiness about things. I know we have a lot of responsibilities to our families to, to make a living, but still don't lose the easiness of a, of a child to, um, to embark on a different path. We're telling our children, you know, find your purpose, uh, find your passion. I think... That's all nonsense. How should an 18 or 19 year old know what passion or purpose is? I was a complete idiot until I was 23 or 24. I didn't even know what, this, you know, what a venture capitalist was until then. So leave um, teenagers and young adults the possibility to be all-rounder, to look at various jobs, to try, and then eventually focus on one thing that feels right. And if after five years it doesn't feel right anymore, then do the next thing what you call a, a linear trajectory is not always uh, right for everyone. I love that throughout his career, Toto has always sought out new skills. His story is the perfect example of why skills and grit are the true currency in work. Like for Toto, everyone's career will hit moments when the plan has to go out the window. But the important thing is, how do you leverage your skills and pivot to the next step? When Toto couldn't race anymore, he went into banking. And even though that wasn't his passion, he still tapped into a strong intellectual curiosity and actively worked to acquire new skills. Eventually, his skills opened new doors to his original passion. And now Toto's known as one of the most successful executives ever in F1 history. So how do you identify your skills? And which ones can you transfer from one industry to the next? We'll talk about that after the break. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. 
Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product, though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so... We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. Welcome to The Path. Before the break, we heard how F1 principal Toto Wolf found his way in investment banking after losing the means to follow his passion of racing and how the skills he picked up along the way helped him get back to the race course. But Toto never had a master plan for his career. He took things one step at a time and decided to keep learning along the way. So today, I've invited Jody Glickman onto the show. She's the CEO and founder of Great on the Job, a leadership development and communication training firm. And Jody has a great framework for how you can choose your next step and leverage your existing skills to get there. I think it's so fascinating that Toto's story comes full circle. Over the years, he built up a series of skills that allowed him then to come back into the industry in an incredibly powerful way years later and down the road. I define a skill as something that you are good at. It is a muscle that you can readily flex. It is an area where you can do something where um, the input is less burdensome than the output, let's say. The first thing I'd say about Toto's path in terms of skill building is that he has a lot of self-awareness and he talks a lot about being really intellectually curious and asking a lot of questions and digging deep when it's something he's interested in, right? He talked about his company going under and then he had to learn about M&A and got really interested. And he went into banking and it wasn't right, but then years later, He had learned how to evaluate companies and invest in companies, and part of that experience informed that. So I think that Toto really leveraged his skills and interests, not necessarily knowing they were going to lead him back to race car driving and to Formula One and being this, you know, larger than life personality in the industry. But as it relates to you in your career, I think there's some really great lessons in there. And I often talk about something called learning, earning, and contributing, and saying those are really the career goalposts that we should focus on. Are you at a specific point in time learning new skills? And if you're not, it's probably boring, and we all grow by learning. There's the flip side of that, which is we need to earn and we need to support ourselves. And sometimes you're in a position where maybe it's not the most exciting, it's not super intriguing, but you are earning money to support yourself for that next thing. 
And then I do think there's a sense of contributing and purpose. And are you making the world a better place? Are you giving back? Do you see how your piece of the puzzle in any given job or role actually contributes to the greater good on some level? And so I think that instead of pursuing passion, asking yourself, am I learning new skills? Am I learning things I'm really interested about? Am I earning and being able to take care of myself and and build wealth and create opportunity? And or am I contributing and giving back? And you don't necessarily do all of them at the same time. Instead of pursuing passion, at least being able to pinpoint where you are and being good with that and then figuring out a plan. If you're not learning new skills, you're not interested in what you're doing. Okay, what's going to be my pivot, my next thing? Throughout your career, you'll need to make decisions as they come. So ask yourself, is this moving me forward in some way? Am I building new skills? I firmly believe that having a skills-first mindset is the best way to stay on top of, or better yet, ahead of, changes. The global economy is experiencing a massive shift, and actually, recruiters on LinkedIn are 50% more likely to search by skills than by years of experience. And that number is just increasing every day. But how do you know which of your skills can apply to a new job? The beauty of transferable skills is that we all have them. We just don't necessarily think about our skills as related to transferable skills. Often we think to ourselves, well, I'm a graphic designer. How could I become a product developer? Or I'm someone who's worked in marketing. How could I ever transition into a finance role? And the truth is, Transferable skills are, again, about what comes naturally to you, what you're good at doing, where you derive energy. So a transferable skill could be, I am a big picture thinker by nature, or I'm really great with details, or I am someone who's comfortable with ambiguity. It doesn't stress me out. Or I'm someone who is incredibly organized and linear, and I can just get things in order right away. Your transferable skills transcend your title or your role, and it takes some introspection to think about what is it you do on a daily basis that you're really good at doing. I think it's really important to ask yourself some questions, such as, what do you enjoy doing versus not enjoy doing, okay? If it is a skill, it's probably more fun for you to do it than not. What do people come to you for advice on or ask you to pitch in on? You can kind of look to the marketplace and get some external validation. Do people see you as that person who is good at or likes to do? And then I go back to energy. What is energy creating for you versus energy depleting? But I think asking yourself the question, what do you enjoy What do people come to you for advice on and what is energy creating for you will be very helpful in thinking through your skills. And if that fails, ask someone else, ask your friends, ask your parents, ask your professors, what do they think that you're good at? What are your natural skills and abilities? If you really don't know, I would certainly seek out information from those who do know you. So here's my takeaway. You don't have to have it all figured out not at 19 or 30 or 55. There are going to be bumps and pivots all along the road, but pay attention to how you feel during those experiences. What did you like or dislike about a specific role? Like Toto, embrace learning and reflect on the big picture of what you're good at, because I bet you've got some transferable skills that apply to a completely different industry. 
And if you find yourself at a crossroad, facing an unexpected challenge, or simply yearning for a change, remember Toto's path. Seize opportunities, stay adaptable. It's not the start, but the journey and how you navigate it that matters. Follow the path for more episodes weekly and join the conversation about each episode on linkedin.com slash the path. The Path is a LinkedIn editorial production. Our production team includes Ava Adnabegi, Stephen Valdivia, and Rachel Wong. Enrique Montalvo is our executive producer. Dave Pond is head of news production. Our head of original programming is Courtney Coop, and Dan Roth is our editor-in-chief. Thanks to Tatiana de Almeida, Caroline Gaffney, and Valerie Barry. And a big thank you to Jody Glickman. If you want to get more of her tips and insights, follow her on LinkedIn and check out her LinkedIn learning courses on leveraging your transferable skills, pitching yourself, and being great on the job.